Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday edition of The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and a big thank you to Patrick Conley for sitting in for me yesterday, and glad to be back here with you. And uh, Now, when you think of the year 1962, uh, it, it might sound like a random year, I've got a reason for it, but what comes to mind? That's 60 years ago now. Were you alive at that time? My brother, he was born the next year. 1963. But here are some things that happened in 1962, just to kind of give you a perspective on that year. 1962, astronaut John Glenn, he became the first American to orbit the Earth, circling the globe three times in just under five hours. That spring, West Side Story won the Oscar for Best Picture. That was also the year that Seattle hosted the World's Fair, and the fair was called the Century 21 Exposition. It gave Seattle one of its most recognizable landmarks, the Space Needle. On July 2nd of that year, 1962, the very first Walmart store opened in Rogers, Arkansas. This is also the same year where Andy Warhol, he premiered his Campbell Soup Cans exhibit in Los Angeles. That year, also, a communication satellite was launched, and it led to the very first live transatlantic television feed. 1962 is the year that John Steinbeck was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Uh, In December of that year, the epic film Lawrence of Arabia was released in theaters. Uh, That's the year in South America, Nelson Mandela, he was arrested and imprisoned. Initially, he was given a life sentence. Uh, That wouldn't end up being the case, but he would stay in prison for the next 27 years, finally being released in 1990. 1962, that's also the year that Marilyn Monroe died. Uh, The animated television show The Jetsons, it ran for the very first time on ABC. Sonny Liston became the world heavyweight champion in boxing after knocking out Floyd Patterson in uh, just two minutes into the first round. In October of 1962, the Beatles, they released their very first single that was written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. The song was Love Me Do. People got to see Sean Connery as James Bond for the very first time in the film Dr. No. 1962, there was also a lot that was happening centered around Cuba. 
in January, first month of the year, Cuba and the Soviet Union, they signed, uh, signed a trade pact. The U.S. then, the next month, in February, they enacted an embargo against Cuba. And then later that year, tensions would be at an all-time high during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the world was watching during the last half of October, dreading the possible uh, advent of nuclear war. Finally, on October 28th, it was announced that Soviet leader Khrushchev, he had ordered the removal of Soviet missile bases in Cuba. And in November, President Kennedy ended the blockade of Cuba. Kennedy, he also started to escalate the U.S. involvement in Vietnam during this time, increasing our military presence. When he took office, there were only 900 U.S. military personnel committed to Vietnam But progressing through 1962 and the following year, that number would grow up to 16,000 people. And, of course, that grew even more than through the rest of the 60s and uh, into the early 70s. So there's a lot that is changing in the world, a lot of uh, fear that's around some of those global events, but a lot of progress, too. Uh, It's at this time, though. 1962, 60 years ago, 1962, at that time in this setting that the Holy Father, Pope John XXIII, now he's St. John XXIII, he opened the first session of an ecumenical council of the Catholic Church. In the Church, we commonly refer to it as Vatican II. But do you know much, if anything, of what actually came out of that council? Well, today is the feast of of St. John the Twenty-Third, the Pope who called for the Second Vatican Council. And so we want to take this hour to look at what that council says, what it says specifically to us here and now, today. And joining us is our spiritual director for the hour, Father James Kabicki is back with us here on The Inner Life. Father Kabicki is a Jesuit priest. He's the spiritual director at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. He gives uh, retreats and missions around the country, and you've probably heard his voice many times uh, through his daily reflections that can be heard here on Relevant Radio. Father, welcome back to The Inner Life. Glad to have you here. Well, thank you, Josh. And, you know, as you were going through the, the many things that happened in, in, in uh, 1962, I couldn't help thinking, now, where was I? How old was I? And I, I was 10 years old when the council opened on this date 60 years ago. So that makes me 70 right now. But uh, I was just a boy. And I have to say, you know, I don't remember too much about the council at that time, what was going on. What I know about it now is the documents and uh, the years that have passed since then. Well, and I, I would imagine that that's going to be the case for most of us. You know, I could be wrong on this, but my suspicion is that most people, you know, whether they were alive at the time or, you know, if they're of my generation born after this, um, probably not familiar with really anything that's been said from Vatican II, outside of hearing an occasional quote here or there that might be referenced, especially if they're a regular consumer of Catholic media. Um, But to actually go back and reread through all those documents, yeah, it's probably something very unfamiliar to most Catholics. Again, that's just a guess on my part. I could be wrong on that. But um, maybe before we dive into what the Council said, all the different things that that came out of those different meetings over the course of a few years. Maybe we can start with St. John the 23rd. Can you tell us a little about his life and help us get to know this man 
who called for this church council. Well, thank you, Josh. Yeah, he was really quite an amazing uh, person, John the Twenty Third. He was his uh, his name before he took that name. John was uh, Angelo Giuseppe, and um, he uh, Roncalli was his last name. And he grew up in very poor circumstances in Italy. Um, he became a priest, was uh, drafted into the Italian army in World War I, served as a stretcher bearer and chaplain, and, uh, and was part of the diplomatic corps of the Vatican. So he served in a number of different places as a nuncio to, to France and to Bulgaria. And he was instrumental during the Second Vatican Council in helping many Jewish people whose lives were at risk uh, to escape from the Nazis. Um, he's also... Um, famous, as it were, as the Patriarch Archbishop Cardinal of Venice, and it was when he was in that position that uh, in 1958 he was uh, elected Pope. And uh, it seems in 1958, after Pius XII had died, there was some uh, debate over who to to elect, so it took many, many votes, uh, many ballots, uh, to elect him, and many people thought of him since he was uh, in his late 70s. They thought, well, he's going to be an interim pope who is is uh, going to um, not do much. Uh, as it turns out, the Holy Spirit inspired him to uh, call for the Second uh, Vatican Council in uh, 1959, and the actual session began on this date in 1962. Normally, we celebrate the feast of a a saint on the day that he passed from this life into the next life, the day that he died. And Pope John the 23rd died on June 3rd. However, the church uh, celebrates him today on the day that the second Vatican council began in 1962. Um, So he's um, quite a figure and we have to look at him and his life and, and, and really see uh, that the Holy spirit was at work, uh, in his life, bringing him to holiness, but also uh, calling all of us to greater holiness. Yeah, you know, one of the things that struck me when I first started learning about St. John the Twenty Third, I saw at least a few pictures of him, and I thought, oh, he looks like kind of a gruff, you know, um, um, kind of serious Italian man (laughs) that uh, was the Pope. I wonder what he was like. And then I ended up reading, and I don't even remember what it was, but I read something from him where he was talking about the Eucharist and his his thoughts, his reflections, his insights were so accessible and and I think just it really it really spoke to me contemporarily. It wasn't something that seemed far removed, even though he lived and died before I was ever born. He really showed that love for our Lord in the Eucharist. That's true. And uh, along with that, Josh, I would add, he also had a great devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Those two go together very closely, the Eucharist and the Heart of Jesus. And so as as a young priest uh, or seminarian, actually as a seminarian, um, he's written uh, some things that uh, make it very clear that he was dedicating his priesthood to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and that he wanted to be a priest after the Heart of Jesus. In other words, uh, that his heart would be more conformed to the Heart of Jesus. Um, so he, he's really um, a saintly figure who um, 
I think coming from his humble background and and uh, the things that he's written, um, I, I would just invite all of our listeners, if you haven't read anything by John the 23rd, please look him up and uh, begin to read some of the things he's written. Do you have any specific document or, you know, something that you would point people to as a great starting place? Well, I think a great starting place would be his own um, diary, his memoirs. Um, it's called the, uh, we it often get confused because the story of a soul is what St. Therese wrote, but he, he wrote uh, a, a book called the journal of a soul. And so uh, you can read what he was writing early on as a seminarian and then later, as he progressed through life, he kept a journal, and and this is what we get: a journal of a soul, is um, uh, John the Twenty Third's writings. Um, it, it really quite amazing, too. You know, he when he was elected pope, he took the name John, which hadn't been taken for centuries. He took the name John because his own father's name was John, and he himself had a devotion to Saint John, the beloved disciple of Jesus the one who put his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper and could draw close to that heart of Jesus. So uh, John the 23rd, he, he took that very simple name, and um, he, uh, it, when he took it, told us that uh, part of it was his own family devotion to his father, but also his devotion to St. John the Apostle. Mm. And uh, he, even though he opened the council, the Vatican, the Second Vatican Council, he would actually die the next year. Um, it, a new pope would be elected who would close out the council meetings. That's Pope Paul VI. And then we have the next two popes after that who take both of their names and combine them, John Paul I, John Paul II. That's right. Yes, he did not live to see the end of the council. He He died after the first session. There were four different sessions um, from uh, 1962 to 1965, and uh, um, he didn't live to see uh, the work of the council completed. But we have to imagine that um, from a different perspective, a different venue, he was praying for yeah. the, the work of that council uh, from his heavenly uh, abode. Well, so let's turn and look at, at the Second Vatican Council, and maybe before we look at it specifically— Let's talk about why does the Catholic Church hold councils? Why have we had these different councils? The, the Second Vatican Council was the 21st ecumenical council of the Church, so 20 before this. But why, why does the Church hold these different councils at different points in history? Well, they began in, in the year 325 when there was a controversy over uh, the nature of Jesus. Uh, was he truly divine? And was he truly human? And so confronting the Arian heresy, we have the uh, bishops from around the, the known world at that time gathering from, from the Christian world in Nicaea, in Turkey, uh, what is now Turkey, Asia Minor. And they came together to um, basically uh, address this issue. And um, what came out of that was what we call the Nicene Creed, which we pray every Sunday at Mass. So usually the councils are called to address some controversy, some uh, problem in the Church, or to try to bring about unity. In the 1200s, we had a Council of Florence. 
which uh, tried to bring about unity between uh, the Eastern Church and uh, the Roman Catholic Church, which had begun to split. And uh, so usually they, they came together to address some uh, critical problem in the church. Uh, so in the 1860s, we had uh, the first ecumenical council, the first Vatican council. And uh, then, you know, in 1962, uh, many people were wondering, well, what's the critical issue that the church needs to address in and why did Pope John call this council? And basically, I think with a very prophetic sense, he felt that the world was changing so fast that the church had to look at how the world was changing and and think of new ways to express its doctrines. So he, he didn't feel that we had doctrinal issues to um, to address or conflicts to address, but what he felt was this was meant to be a missionary council, one in which the church gathered to uh, address how the church was going to respond to the fast changes going on, the threat of nuclear war, the communism in the world, the uh, um, disparity of, of between rich and poor nations, colonialism, all, all these things that were uh, in uh, the ferment of the world at that time. And so um, he called for this missionary council for the church to uh, pray about and reflect on how it could better meet the needs of the world the, and how the church could address those needs. Had there ever been a council that had that kind of a thematic approach before, or had all the church councils really been focused on, uh, you know, that unity of beliefs or addressing and possibly even condemning, you know, different heresies that, that had come up? Uh, anything that had had been in this vein of that missionary council before? You know, I, I don't think so, except the First Vatican Council in the 1860s, you know, was addressing uh, the big changes that were going on in Italy, the papal states, where the Pope was no longer going to be a temporal ruler over part of Italy, and um, uh, some of the, the revolution that was going on from the American Revolution, French Revolution, revolutions across Europe, um, the Church gathered to uh, address some of those issues. But out of that then came the whole uh, question of um, the Pope and his role in the Church. So there was an issue, but I think beginning with that First Vatican Council, we see the Church uh, addressing, trying to address what was going on in the world and the vast changes that were going on uh, in the 1800s and and then in the 1900s throughout the world with the Second Vatican Council. Uh, talking with Father James Kubicki here today on The Inner Life, and want to open up the phones if you'd like to call in today, talking about the Second Vatican Council, Vatican II, and what it says to us, and what what it calls from us, uh, to how we should respond in our own lives. And a big part of that is a universal call to holiness. We're going to talk more about that, um, but also if you're well, if you're uh, curious about some aspect of Vatican II, if you'd like to speak with Father James Kabicki, you can give us a call eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. And Father, need to take a break in just a moment, but a lot of different documents that came from those meetings of Vatican II. There's a lot there that speaks to the role of the laity in the church, and that's another one, you know, as we're talking about that missionary council kind of focus that we have here. Before Vatican II, had there really been 
this much that had been devoted to, I guess, in one time at one place, spoken about regarding the the laity, lay people in their place in the church? I don't think so. And, and I think that was a part of the uniqueness of the council, both in, you know, there were 16 documents that came out of the council. Four of them were uh, very important. They're called constitutions. One of them, the constitution on the church, has a long section about the laity and how we are all called to holiness. And then there was another decree on the apostolate of the laity. What is the role of the laity in uh, in terms of advancing the the work of the church and the kingdom of of Christ? You know how the church is is here to proclaim the gospel and advance the kingdom of Jesus. And so um, that decree um, talked about how laity were to do that. Again, talking with Father James Kabicki, and uh, we're going to try and unpack a, li- a little bit, a very little bit, just because uh, we only have uh, this one hour here to look at the Second Vatican Council. But also want to invite you into the conversation if you have a question, 888-914-9149, especially as we talk about that universal call to holiness. How are you living that out in your life? Uh, how are you striving to grow in holiness, especially in the everyday activities, the, the just the responsibility? that you have day in and day out in your life. And we'd love to welcome you into the conversation at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Back in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive over a million prayer requests every year, thanks in part to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line, helping us stay connected to your intentions. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with life insurance at relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Welcome back. This is The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, and today I'm talking with Father James Kabicki. He's a Jesuit priest, and he is a spiritual director at St. Francis de Sales Seminary in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, gives regular retreats and missions around the country, and uh, very glad to have him with us here on The Inner Life today. And our phone number, if you'd like to call in and join the conversation, as we talk about what we can learn, what was uh, given to us as the Church, the different teachings, the different instructions uh, out of the Second Vatican Council— and our phone number here is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And uh, Father, if anybody is interested in uh, maybe looking up one of your retreats or missions that you give, anything coming up here soon that somebody might be able to attend? Yes. In fact, I'll be in the Chicago area. Uh, there's a Jesuit retreat house in Barrington, Illinois, just northwest of uh, the city, and I have a retreat that starts Friday evening and goes until Sunday noon, just a short kind of retreat. But it's at the Jesuit Retreat House, and if people want to find out about that, um, they can go to uh, JesuitRetreat.org. So www.JesuitRetreat.org and uh, find out more about that retreat. I'll be giving a few talks, uh, leading people through the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. There'll be time for prayer. It's a, it's a silent retreat for men. So please uh, invite people to check it out, because I know there's room, and you can find out more online at JesuitRetreat.org. Beautiful. 
Good. Uh, again, talking with Father Kabicki here today about the Second Vatican Council. And, uh, Father, so let's talk about a few of the terms that we come across in the different documents. You, you specifically mentioned those four constitutions that came out of the Second Vatican Council. First of all, we talked about uh, right before the break that there's a lot said to the laity. And just to make sure that we understand terms, how should we define what a layperson is? Well, basically, uh, I guess we would define it uh, negatively. It, it means all the faithful, except for those who have been ordained, priests, de- deacons, bishops, or those who are in the consecrated life, um, those who have uh, taken vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and are in what we strictly call uh, religious life. And so everyone else is is the laity, basically people who uh, live and work in the world and are uh, concerned about worldly affairs, trying to bring the gospel and the kingdom of God into play in um, the the world at large, rather than in a convent or monastery. Right. So the ordinary, everyday kind of Christian Catholic is is uh, you know the person who uh, maybe might be single, might be married, um, you know, might even be. Um, you know, a, a young somebody in their in their teens or early twenties doesn't matter. Everybody falls into that category. If you're not, uh, if you're not ordained or if you're not part of a religious community where you've taken those vows, a couple of other terms that might be good to talk about before we start diving into some of the different aspects and the themes of these documents. The word vocation is used uh, quite a bit. There's also the term apostolate that you mentioned before the break. And I think it might be good just, especially in the context of Vatican II, maybe you can help us understand both of these. First of all, vocation. How should we understand vocation when we're talking about the Second Vatican Council? Well, you know, uh, I used to be a vocation director for the, the Jesuits in the upper Midwest, and um, I remember one of the things I always confronted was the fact that many people, when they heard the word vocation, thought only about priesthood, brotherhood, um, religious life, and they did not think of marriage as a vocation or uh, being a layperson as a vocation. And yet, you know, one of the, I think, most important aspects of the Second Vatican Council and this we find in the Constitution on the Church, Lumen Gentium, the light of the peoples. Um, it says that all people are called to holiness, the universal call to holiness. So I think to understand the word vocation basically comes from the Latin word vocare, to mean, it means to call, and that God is calling all of us in different ways of life, walks of life, to holiness. That's our ultimate vocation, is to become saints, to be holy. And then the way we live that out is through the different professions or what we might, strictly speaking, call vocations in in the world. Um, And then the apostolate, again, interesting, we used to think of apostolate only in terms of uh, the apostolic work of priests or religious people, sisters. Um, But the Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council, made it very clear that everyone who is, is called to holiness who has a vocation to be a Christian, that out of that flows the apostolate. And uh, while the um, apostolate of priests, you know, involves a lot of sacramental work and preaching, the apostolate of lay people is to be Christ's presence 
being the body of Christ right there in the world, in their workplace, in where they recreate, uh, in the family, um, that this all is considered part of the lay apostolate, bringing Christ into the world through um, the, the love that we show to one another. Yeah, well, and in that decree on the, the apostolate of the laity, um, we read that it, that apostolate, it's all focused around one goal. Um, what it says there is that all of us, humanity, might enter into a relationship with Christ. And, and I mean, that's a very basic goal then for us. But uh, one of the things you and I were kind of talking about before the program is just by virtue of any Christian being baptized, we share in then Christ's role of prophet, priest, and king. And maybe we can talk for just a moment about that, those different titles, those different roles, and what that means for each of us as we understand that living out of the apostolate as well as that universal call to holiness. So can we take these maybe one at a time? How, how, how do we, how are we prophets? How do we share in that role of prophet with Christ? Well, that's great, Josh. You know, I, I give parish missions on this very topic, and it's one of my favorite topics, um, because when we are baptized, we receive the sacred chrism, which is used to anoint the hands of priests and to anoint the altar at in churches. And so it's, it's a very sacred thing. We are consecrated through baptism, and the prayer that's said is that we would share in those same duties, the roles that Jesus had to be a prophet, a priest, and a king, or in our case, you know, royal people. And so, the, you know, the way uh, we're called to be prophets, first of all, prophets are people who uh, hear the Word of God. When we go through the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, we read how the Word of God came to the different prophets. Well, the Word of God comes to us through the Scriptures, but also uh, God's activity in our world, how God uh, when we pray about our lives and try to read the scripture of our own lives to see how God is active and at work. Uh, we might use the expression, reading the signs of the times, seeing how the Holy Spirit is at work in, uh, in our world and in our lives. And when we listen to that word then and take that word into ourselves, it helps transform us that we might be people who not only listen to the word, hear the word, but also then uh, live that word and speak the word. When we look at the Hebrew prophets, they all either spoke the word to uh, the people of their time, or they performed certain actions that, as it were, witnessed to the word or uh, gave the word flesh. So in our own lives, we're called uh, through uh, our activities, through what we say, what we do, uh, to uh, let that word that we receive also enter into our world uh, through what we say, teaching our children, uh, and uh, witnessing to others about our faith. Um, I think that's, that's part of how we're called, each of us, lay people and priests and consecrated persons, to be prophets in the world today. Uh, well, so let's then look at that role of priest. You know, th this is the not the, the same priesthood that we're talking about with um, you know, somebody who is ordained, but you, you mentioned there's that same oil that is used at, at baptism that is used for ordination. So how do we understand that role, especially as laity, of being a priest? 
Well, again, you know, as uh, people who are in the lay state, the lay vocation, are members of the body of Christ. And so Christ is the head, and he shares with all the parts of the body his role as a prophet, priest, and king. Um, the role of a priest is to offer worship to God. And the way we do that is, uh, first of all, by participating in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, Jesus took away all the old animal offerings of the Old Testament, the cereal grain offerings, and he replaced them with his one perfect offering of himself, which is made present to us every time we gather to celebrate the Mass. And so at every Mass, everyone who's there participating is called to, as it were, place him or herself on the altar, offer ourselves with Christ, the head of the body, and to offer ourselves for the salvation of souls. Um, so we offer perfect worship to God when we gather to celebrate the Eucharist. But then we have to go out and live that offering that we've made at Mass. And that's where St. Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1, says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. In other words, we live the Mass. We live the offering that we make in the Holy Eucharist. And we do that by uh, trying to sanctify all of our uh, work, uh, everything that we do, every moment of our day. That's where, uh, Josh, for, for me, and when I was uh, director of the Apostleship of Prayer, I always encouraged people to begin the day by making a daily offering. Mm -hmm. And in that way, we continue the celebration of the Mass. We live that out in our daily lives by offering every prayer, work, joy, or suffering, every thought, word, deed, every breath, every beat of our heart. We offer our whole self every day, one day at a time, uh, in perfect worship to God because we're united with Jesus as members of his body. Uh, as Father Kabicki is talking about that morning offering, if you would like to find uh, that prayer, you can find a version of it on the Relevant Radio app as well. If you just go to the upper right-hand corner where it has the little pray button, and you'll find a lot of different categories there. Um, it should be under the basic prayers category there, and you can find that morning offering. I, I, I don't have it open right now, but it might even have two different versions of it. But it is a beautiful way to start your, your day, to be able to offer everything that happens in your day um, to Christ. Uh, and, and, you know, Father, as you're talking about that basic role of a priest, offering worship to God, there's a lot that is said about the, the family in Vatican II as well, and I'm just thinking even the role of parents leading, or even grandparents, helping to lead children or grandchildren in prayers, in you know teaching them about the faith, in helping them to have that lived-out faith experience in the home life. That right there also really is a, a very, very basic but practical way to enter into that role of priest in the prophet, priest, and king aspect of sharing in Christ. That's right, and especially during this time uh, that the bishops in the United States have called for a Eucharistic revival, I, I really think it's important for parents to uh, appreciate better the gift we have in the Eucharist and to make uh, the celebration of the Eucharist every Sunday a very important part of the week, and to help children 
understand and uh, participate in the Mass. Um, Father um, Jacob Strand is a priest of the Milwaukee Archdiocese, and he has two churches, uh, St. Michael's and Holy Trinity, up in Kewaskum, Wisconsin. And he has a little prayer that the people uh, at the beginning of Mass recite together, in which they pause for a moment and call to mind, what is the intention that I am offering my celebration of the Mass, my participation in the Mass? What intention do I bring to this Mass? And I think it's a wonderful way for all of us, and especially in families, to have, you know, ahead of time to talk about who or what am I going to offer my celebration of the Mass uh, for uh, as we gather on Sunday. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for families to to talk about that and to be more aware that when we participate in Mass, we should be bringing uh, specific intentions uh, to our celebration. Again, talking with Father James Kabicki and uh, really trying to unpack some of the themes that we see in the Second Vatican Council as we celebrate the opening of that council here today on the Feast of St. John the Twenty-Third, the Pope that opened up the Second Vatican Council. And also, you're welcome to call in and join the conversation at 888-914-9149, Father, so we've talked about how we share in that role of prophet, in that role now of priest, the third one, king. Uh, how, how should that impact our outlook on living out our Christian life? Well, at the Last Supper, um, Jesus, uh, there was an argument that broke out among the apostles about who was the greatest. And this was a teachable moment for for Jesus. He He used it to teach them that the kings and powerful people of this world, the wealthy, Um, that they uh, lorded over people is the way he put it. And he said, it should not be like that among you, but the greatest among you must be the servant of all. And he says, I am your master. And we can hear in those words, Jesus saying, I am the king, um, but I come to serve. And so it's a servant kingship. If we think of ourselves as sharing in the kingship of Jesus, uh, being royal people, uh, we're called to be servants. And, uh, you know, the best way that we do that is uh, through the works of charity, the works of mercy. Um, Last week, I was in Chilton, Wisconsin, giving a parish mission um, at Good Shepherd Parish. And I was so amazed. The church there, it's a beautiful church. And the windows, I've never seen this. It's an older church. And the stained glass windows on one side had all the corporal works of mercy, and on the other side of the church had all the spiritual works of the mercy, of mercy portrayed in stained glass. And I think it was a wonderful reminder that this is how we're called to be a royal people, to be servants and to practice the works of, of mercy, of charity. And in that way, we become like Jesus, the servant king. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Again, Father James Kabicki here with us on The Inner Life today, and our phone number is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Also want to mention, uh, we are still a ways out from Christmas, but we have a very special giveaway if you would like to register. Um, we've done this, I think this is our third year that we've been able to do this, offer 200 lucky winners 
the chance to win a nativity set, an outdoor nativity set, and they're hand-painted. They are a wonderful way for you to display what Christ or what Christmas is really all about, about Christ. Um, you can sign up, but the sign-ups end this week. If you'd like to register for your chance to win this outdoor nativity set, you can sign up at relevantradio.com slash set. S-E-T, as in nativity, set. And uh, when you do that, um, the reason we're wanting to get those entries as quick as possible is so that we can guarantee that you will have that shipped to you. You'll have it for the beginning of Advent, be able to put it outside your home, and, uh, and, and share the true meaning of Christmas with your neighbors, those in your neighborhood. Again, go to relevantradio.com slash set, and you can register for your chance to win today. And we will be right back with more here with Father James Kabicki as we talk about the Second Vatican Council on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today, we'd like to thank James, who's listening in Arizona, for donating his Kawasaki. Join thousands of other listeners in donating your old vehicle by visiting relevantradio.com slash car today. Thanks for listening to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app, and I hope your week is off to a good start here, and... uh, Uh, Already more than a third of the way through the month of October. This is the month, by the way, dedicated to praying the rosary. And uh, if you do not pray the rosary daily, I really would encourage you to pick up that practice, that devotion. And a great way to do that is to join Father Rocky here on the Family Rosary Across America, prayed every night at 7 o'clock Central. And uh, it's, it's a fantastic way for you to unite with so many other thousands and thousands of listeners that are praying together around the world. And if, uh, if you do pray the rosary, keep it up. That's excellent. Uh, if you don't, and if, even if you can't make it to the Family Rosary Across America, please start praying it on your own. Uh, If you have questions about how to pray the rosary, you can find that in the Relevant Radio app. Again, um, I mentioned that pray section, upper right corner, you see a little button there, and you'll see one of the options is devotions, where you can learn about all the prayers, how to pray the rosary, and it really will transform your life. I can't say that enough about how the rosary really will change your life, bring you peace, bring you comfort if you're going through difficulties. I'm not saying it'll get rid of the difficulties, but uh, God will be able to work through that time spent in prayer in your life. So again, if you're able to join Father Rocky, though, tune in each night, 7 o'clock Central, for the Family Rosary Across America. Uh, Father, right before the break, talked about how the family is talked about so much in those documents coming out of the Second Vatican Council. And... Um, you know, there's there's all these different emphases of the role of parents, the cooperative work of the family and strengthening it, it itself, um, how families impact the world around them. And as I was reading through some of the different things said about the family, I remember the very first time I read the encyclical Humanae Vitae by Pope Paul VI, and I was really amazed at how he had written about so many issues that could come about in the future— from the use of artificial contraception. And I was reading it after 
those warnings, those prophecies had come to pass. And I kind of look at what is said about the role of the family in the documents of the Second Vatican Council, calling for generations to come together, families to help each other grow in wisdom, to active, actively bring the reality of God's love into the world. Um, you know, it, it calls the family the foundation of society. This is written less than a decade before our country would start seeing no-fault divorce laws that are passed in different states. And again, this seems to be very prophetic about what the ideal of the family could be, what it should be, right before divorce rates start rising in U.S. and, and other Western countries. Yeah, Josh, that's, that's really true. I think, you know, in many ways, uh, the documents were very prophetic in anticipating uh, some of the, the more radical changes that have occurred in our world since the 1960s. Um, I also think that, I mean, the, the, what the Second Vatican Council was trying to do with, with these documents and the emphasis on family uh, and laity was to say, you know, everyone is involved in the apostolate. In other words, everyone is involved in evangelization. We're all called to become holy and that our lives should uh, witness to the justice of God's kingdom, to the love that is uh, God in his very nature, God is love, that we're all called to that. And if we took that seriously and, and lived our 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 baptism um, more consciously, um, we would begin in one in small ways to uh, change family life, change our culture, uh, change our workplace. So um, I think it, it was a real call. Uh, some people joke; uh, they say, "Well, the the call of the Vatican Council was to open the windows," and and the idea behind that was for the church to open the windows and go out into the world and bring the good news of Jesus into the world. But some people have said, instead, what's happened is the world has infected the church. And unfortunately, you know, the secularization that has gone on has certainly challenged us to be more proactive and uh, more conscious in our living out of our faith. Yeah. You know, I think that also goes to then because there were changes that came about from the Second Vatican Council and then were enacted over the subsequent years and decades of the way the Mass was celebrated and the liturgy. And, you know, that I, I've heard the phrase, well, the pendulum just swung too far. It's going to have to come back and, and correct here. But with the Mass no longer being celebrated in Latin, a foreign language, you know, something that was mm -hmm. not— when it's not your first language, you don't have the the ability necessarily to change things and adapt it. You know, you have to stick with what's written there. So when we see those, uh, you know, different priests that are out there that might revise what's actually said in the liturgy, that can be a real frustration that, you know, th this is more than just your own personal private interpretation of what you think Mass should be. This is the Mass that unites us out of space, out of time, with Christ for all eternity. Um, how, do, how do you look past, I guess, as a layperson, some of those frustrations that you might encounter and appreciate what the real, uh, the, the, the desire of the Second Vatican Council was in trying to make the Mass more accessible for the average person? Boy, great question, Josh. And uh, certainly I know there are a number of priests who 
um, celebrate in a way that is distracting. And um, Pope Francis recently addressed that, saying, you know, it's not a performance. It's not your liturgy that you're doing. You're not there as a performer. You're there to help people pray the Mass, and so to not be a distraction, because one of the, the goals of the Second Vatican Council and the document on the uh, sacred liturgy was that um, to promote full, active, conscious participation in the celebration. And Pope Benedict had a wonderful, um, he addressed a Eucharistic Congress years ago, uh, I believe it was in 2012 in Ireland, and he said, you know, the, the goal of the council was to help people encounter Jesus in the celebration and to be more aware of what was going on. And he said there were uh, some wonderful things that happened, but also people misunderstood the, the, the changes in the mass. And uh, they began to see active participation only as standing, sitting, kneeling, singing together, responding. And he said... Basically, you know, what what needs to go on is on a more interior level, that we all need to pray the Mass better. And so, again, I think this is part of the Eucharistic revival that the bishops have called for. Um, So we may be at a Mass where the celebration has become a distraction because of the priest's uh, presider. But the, uh, uh, I think the challenge at that point is to say, okay, he's acting in the person of Christ. The Mass is going on. The the holy sacrifice is being made present to me here and to pray the Mass um, uh, consciously. And so it, it's a challenge at times, but the challenge is for all of us to take seriously the call to pray the Mass uh, and uh, follow along in a way that helps us pray the Mass. Well, and as you're saying that, I think one of the best things that you can do is spend some time before actually walking into your parish or wherever you, you know, if it's, if it's a different community, maybe that you're going into where mass is being celebrated, but spend some time in prayer ahead of time so that you can actively pray better the mass as you're talking about. And then that goes back to what you were talking about, that universal call to holiness and how we impact the world around us by living out the mass when we leave. Um, that's right, Josh. I, I think that's great advice to uh, spend time preparing for Mass, reading the readings ahead of time. And I know there's some debate over this, but I'm a big fan of uh, having the prayers, the Eucharistic prayers in front of me. Uh, it, you know, that uh, it's, it, we are, are such a, a, um, a culture in which it's hard for us to really listen And so as the prayers are being prayed by the presider priest, it's so easy to space out and for our minds to wander. And that's where in the the old days when the Mass was in Latin, most people had a missal in which the Latin was on one side and English was on the other. And so people could follow the prayer uh, with the English on, on that side if they did not know Latin. I think today um, resources like the Magnificat or um, Give Us This Day, um, resources that help us to follow along with the prayers as they're being prayed. Uh, I'm a big fan of that myself. So Yeah, it's um, always good to... It's good to have that understanding of what we're praying during the course of the Mass. Father, we're completely out of time here, and uh, as we approach the last about 20 seconds, could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? 
Lord, on this day that we honor the memory of John the 23rd and the beginning of the Second Vatican Council, help us to be the people that you want us to be. And may your blessing come upon us all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again, Father James Kubicki, for being with us here. And uh, thank you for being a part of the program listening. If you joined us late and you'd like to go back and find the entire podcast, it's available at relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Stay tuned. Mass starting right now here on Relevant Radio.